we watched a super cut when we were just really drunk one night in Chicago of just like all Al Pacino super cut on, on oh god yeah it was so great just like all just clips from Heat and just like oh it was so funny got a great ass. Alfred you come here and you waste my time like this <laughs> what does he say when he bangs on the table you know a guy well I am over fucking well <laughs> or he's like he's like uh give me all you got there you go That's give me all you got yeah. <laughs> Don't waste my motherfucking time! This is MPN. From Los Angeles, it's the McShank Podcast on the McCarran Podcast Network. Here's Ryan and Clayton. Clayton, summer's winding down. Summer is winding down, and I i guess I could say I let out a big thank you. Yeah. That it's finally over. Oh, it's really, yeah. We'll get, we'll, I'm we'll sure get we'll into, get into it, that. Yeah. It, it was not a, a fruitful summer for harvest, I think. No, and we're going to... In we're, we're, many, many ways. We're going to rehash a little bit, and I think, and then look forward to the fall releases. What's on the horizon? Something... You know, as the summer sun sets beneath the hills, the moon of fall <laughs> rises up. Give me a picture easy. It's so encouraging, and the future seems so bright, hopefully. Um, you can tell that this tightly structured opening of ours, we, we, didn't, we didn't quite plan this one so much ahead of time. We're kind of spitballing, but we kind of just want to do a little retrospective on the year. To, so far. To date, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, more of the year, and I think just... Maybe not so much the early part of the year. Yeah, we talked about that. We went over that. Although, I, I do kind of find... <laughs> I, maybe we'll get into this toward our top ten list. I found the earlier, maybe the February through April months, to be the richest months so far on the film calendar. The richest of the harvest of the film The richest of the harvest calendar. where we will eat our fruit. Well, so as we talked about, as we alluded to briefly, um, summer season was not all it was cracked up to be i didn't now to be fair i don't know if i really looked at the slate and really said whoa there's you know i need to point to that and that you know this is going to be the thing i need to see over the summer in like there were in years past um it was kind of a lot of more franchise fair a lot of more movies with colons in the title mm-hmm. that are trying to resurrect or continue to invigorate these long-running franchises. Right. And, and, and you know, I, I don't really have a problem. I mean, that's just sort of where Hollywood is. And I think if you want to go to the movies, you just need to put up with the remakes and the sequels if you want. Um, it, you know, it, 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 it doesn't bug me like a lot, but it, it, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the ones that, that, I, that I looked at on the calendar and were like, oh, I mean, it, it didn't, I think the ones that I ended up enjoying the most were either the smaller films that did, maybe didn't get as much press or stuff that maybe could have been released at any point and just so happened to be released in the summertime. Um, uh, yeah, I, I did get a lot of enjoyment out of stuff that I would normally see at a theater like the Lemley in Pasadena, a smaller art house theater, mm-hmm. or stuff that I got from Redbox that I kind of wanted to check out in a theater but just never got around to it. Uh, stuff from like the first, you know, first quarter, bleeding into the second quarter mm-hmm. of the year. And I feel like this summer... You'd hold up a title like The Nice Guys or something as one of the bigger highlights of the summer. And I think in a more average, slightly stronger year, that would be kind of just a middle-of-the-road enjoyment. Yeah. Where it's kind of 
one of the only things I can point to that I actually enjoyed right. this summer. Yeah, and I, and I guess, yeah, if, if we're talking about May, then for sure. I mean, it's really one of the ones... Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that was probably... It'll probably end up somewhere on my top ten list at the end of the year, <laughs> not to spoil uh, a spot on there, but... Uh, Just really quick, did it? how did it live up to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang for you? Or do you think it equaled it? Um, that's a hard question. I haven't seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in a while. I feel like a lot of the same beats are there. I think there's a lot of similarities to it. Um, I actually kind of thought that the relationship between Crow and Gosling in some ways was superior to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I feel like I got more hmm. belly laughs out of the nice guys. Because I didn't see Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in the theater. I was kind of a latecomer to that. Me too. I saw it later. Uh, I did see it later. I I think I would probably put that earlier film higher because I think there's a more consistent level of, I don't know, I guess you'd say propulsion to watching the story where the nice guy is is kind of a splatter shot effort in a lot of ways. It kind of goes in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. It it's, tries to it's, congeal at the end, or to tries to sort of bring of everything together. Incoherent at times, but there are so many individual moments of laugh out loud, even some just earn pathos like the daughter character is fantastic in that movie and and chet (laughs) fucking chet (laughs) the best part of that movie i i don't know i i kind of like the quick cutaway of them dumping a body onto the banquet table (laughs) that that was probably my biggest laugh in the whole movie well i think also if we can stay on that topic i think another one that i was really looking forward to and i was a little sad that it really didn't really quite get the run uh that it Maybe could have in other years was uh, pop star. Never stop, never stopping. It's funny. My Rolling company worked on that. Oh I, yeah, I, I saw people working on shots over the course of a few months, but I never ended up getting to see the whole. Really thing. Really enjoyable, very funny. I'm a big Lonely, Lonely Island, Island fan. Guy, yeah, yeah, so I mean, it, it, it fit right in, and I think a, a lot of people made comparisons to Spinal Tap. It's a very similar. It's a mockumentary about a musician. I mean, so the comparisons are already going to be there, but I think it even how even goes even further in that. Not a lot of people saw it when it came out, and so I think it's going to probably get a second life <clears throat> on DVD and, and on home, you know, and VOD yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, that seems like a movie that'll get legs as soon as it reaches a wider <laughs> audience. Yeah, and then so I, so that was something, again, that isn't necessarily a giant release, oh, a, you know, big, you know, $200 million tentpole. Um, no, just a smaller, tightly crafted, mm-hmm. inspired movie with some real strong content in it. Didn't really even need to come out in the summer. Either mm-hmm. didn't even need to be a movie that was like specifically. No, it, it could have come it, out in March. It could have been released in the dead months of the yeah. year. It could have been a September or a January, yeah. and still it had the same impact. I think, unfortunately, hopefully it does find a bigger audience, <laughs> and, I, and I end up seeing it. Yeah, I think I think it, I mean you could probably you could probably find it now at your wherever videos are sold these days. <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> Nowhere. Well, um, find it. It's good. That's out there. Please. Um, you want to buy a Tower Records, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> oh. That movie. <laughs> anyway, well, it's funny because you you dropped that reference on me. I think it was it might have been in our top ten of that year. Yeah, you actually said that the, you put Eduardo in there from the movie. But <laughs> I find it's a good reference to call on every so often. Yeah, that's from the Social Network. In that's case from the Social it, Network, yeah. and yes, in yeah. case it didn't strike right. strike any chords. But what about some? What are some of the other takeaways? What are some of the other things that maybe you like, dislike something? As we put a bow on the summer movies. Yeah, the summer movies. I. I guess there's a couple of movies I wanted to talk about. Two of them are... Actually, they're all pretty small movies. Uh, first one is Don't Think Twice. That's uh, Mike Rabiglia's follow-up to 2012's Sleepwalk With Me. Mm-hmm. Also a, a very good film. A small film about just kind of the anxiety and 
social pressures that come with him having to get married and do you think he's uh <laughs> you think he's an anxious guy he might <laughs> this be, guy he, he might be a little jittery just it, a skosh this movie kind of picks up where that movie left off and brings kind of some of the same things into play but i guess written more large with this time a whole comedy troupe of performers um what i really liked about it is that it's kind of all these people in this comedy troupe are of a certain age they're probably pushing 40 you know and it really there, there becomes this kind of uh moment of reckoning in the group when one of the members played by keegan michael peel gets key key michael key, keegan michael key keegan michael oh key and peel yeah 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 i'm yeah. sure that's never you mixed happened. them up i'm sure that's never you happened. smushed them together in the course of their whole careers i'm sure that's <laughs> never happened um, you know how i remember it honestly because key is long and thin like a key that's how i can think that's how i think about it i'll buy it yeah i'll buy it that's you know i uh they had a movie out this year it's keanu right mm-hmm. yeah which I, I didn't see but that looked like it had a funny it was funny it. it was really funny yeah <laughs> uh, but it's like I, I love how this movie it, it deals with like a reckoning of this group where they're one of the group finds mainstream success and the rest of the movie is basically how the rest of the members of the comedy troupe deal with it and where I think that if these people were a little bit younger they would have had a more of a collaborative kind of enthusiastic approach to somebody achieving success but these people they probably feel like their success their window for success and achieving their dreams is getting smaller by the day and so it becomes kind of a poison pill in the whole group and the rest of the movie just kind of explores that and, and I love how it kind of is just a study of just what a comedian is and and it's like these uh, these these people who they it's, it's, it's kind of funny that the people that make us laugh the most I feel like often have this kind of depressive streak running along them side by side it kind of this, the good always comes with that bad yeah and, it's the sad clown aspect of it you know it's it, the, it really you know. is it really <laughs> is and and it's like uh, there's this on the exterior there's a shell of congratulation when someone else finds success on the interior there's this uh lamenting over bitterness one, one must be your own uh creative or prof- professional inadequacy you know it's yeah. like it's like a direct threat at the same time it's a weird it's almost a coming of age film for 30 somethings you know, it's it, it it deals a lot with the things that the issues you deal with in facing creative mortality, like mm-hmm. you said, and, and figuring out, well, this hasn't worked out. I took a swing. What sort of things? What what can I really do? I mean, you see them working in because they working they in put all their restaurants right. and they're all living in this one commune. And it's sort of like, well, I can't afford a place in New York. This is where I have need to be. So you're sort of. I, I think it's in a way it's them thinking that they're all in this together. Like they have to, to be in all this together. And this is a sort of a selfish story, not a selfish story, but like when I was in high school and I was in uh, the honors English, like the AP English, my first three years and my fourth year this, between junior and senior year, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do the summer reading. I don't want to be in AP English anymore. And that was met with more, like consternation and just like why what what are you crazy it was sort of because it was nobody really wanted to do it Mm -hmm. but it was this sense of you're all in this together you're all in this you know this thing that you have together and 
the fact that somebody could leave and try to do something different, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> what, what am I thinking? So right. I think that is sort of an interesting, that challenges the same thing. That's the same challenges that they deal with. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, all, all of our lives suck. Mm-hmm. You know, we're living in this shitty place. We don't have any money, but we're all creatively rich and we all fulfilled creatively. And then one guy is like, hey, I want to do something a little different. Go, you know, take it to the next level. And it's well, it ne- seems like they all wanted to achieve that in some sense, but nobody really put the effort in or had the kind of uh, fortuitousness mm-hmm. that, that the key character right. has. And, and I just love the reverberations it has on the rest of, of the group. Yeah. I think it's, it's something fun to explore there. And I also love how the surrogate for Saturday Night Live is called Weekend Live. Weekend Live. Weekend Live. Yeah, it's exactly the same. <laughs> It's just called Weekend Live. Yeah, I really enjoyed Don't Think Twice. I think uh, I think it's a really solid follow up to mm-hmm. Sleepwalk with me, and it makes Berbiglia kind of a must see filmmaker now. In right. The future. Well, I mean, I I love his comedy too, mm-hmm. so it's I mean, it you know, yeah, a must see entertainer, I guess, mm-hmm. for him. Um, yeah, what about you? Uh, I the probably my favorite movie of the summer uh, was a movie that came out just a couple of weeks ago. Actually, uh, it's. A, then widely acclaimed uh, Hell or High Water. Oh, God. One, one movie I... Haven't checked it out yet? I told my parents to go see it. They took, oh, yeah? They took my recommendation and went and saw it, and I have yet to see it. Okay, so well... It's really high on my list to see right it's now. Definitely, it's definitely needs to be the next thing that you mm. see, because that, that, that is another one that will probably end up on my list. But um, this is another smaller movie, again, that I, that I really enjoyed. Uh, the Purge Election Year. Actually, really? I really, really enjoyed The Purge Election Year. Now, have you seen the other films? I have. Okay. I have. I've, I've not seen a single film. I the it's the 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 transition from the first movie to this movie, it's pretty impressive. Actually, are they getting like, just really topical with these now? They're getting very topical, first of all. But they took a very micro look at the Purge in the first movie. Well, first of all, they keep making them because they're they cost like ten dollars to make and they make <laughs> millions of dollars, mm-hmm. even with an R rating. So the first movie just takes place, basically, it's a home invasion movie that takes place on this night. And it made a bunch of money, and I think the outcry was, well, we want to see what's going on with more things, with The Purge, Mm -hmm. uh, what's going on. So then they made The Purge Anarchy, which was fantastic, because it takes more of a macro look at what's going on and sets the story within an embattled city. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like you you have a certain amount of time until you the purge is over. And so you're basically that that's your time limit. And you're sort of move maneuvering your way through the city, trying not to get killed. So this movie then takes it to the, another step and brings a political aspect into it. Um, talking about how the purge was created just to, um, eliminate the, the lower class Hmm. that the people that the ones that are suffering the most are the lower class and they just get killed. So then the, government doesn't have to use money to take care of them Mm -hmm. and so elizabeth mitchell plays a senator who is running for president on this platform who basically says hey if i get elected i'm going to stop the purge and it's very (laughs) much i mean she's like a blonde-haired woman who's running on this democratic platform and then you have a religious zealot running <laughs> on the other side and it's very 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 now very very now um and so not only do their battles are you know are they battling constantly but the idea you know they're battling for gotham's soul or something you know <laughs> like but but then hijinks ensue and then you know they need to basically get the uh senator to safety to make sure that she can survive the night and and everything like that so but each time the 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 way that they 
handle the deaths, the way they handle the makeup that some of the, like the costumes that these people wear on this night are fantastic, flawlessly great. Um, I prefer the second one. I prefer Anarchy. But they really are all just standalone movies. There was one line in Election Year that basically harkened back to the other movie. So you could really just jump in at any point. Like, it's interesting. There's very little connective tissue. Um, but I actually said before the summer, and I came really, really close. I came really, really close because I said that the Purge election year was going to – I think I even said it on this podcast that the Purge was going to make more money opening weekend than Independence Day. <laughs> and it came so close. It was probably like a 5 or $10 million difference, but I ended up right. losing that one. But I, I remember that. Well, you, you, you lost it with dignity. I, I, I did. I did. I swung for the fences. and yeah, yeah. I, I, Warning track power on a great, yeah. on a great bet. You know what? It's okay. Sometimes maybe there was a runner at third, and he came in on a sack fly. There you go. You know, your description of the plot kind of reminded me of a great Carlin quote where he's talking about class economics, and he says how the rich people basically make all the money and pay none of the taxes. The middle class people make none of the money and pay all of the taxes. And the poor people are just there to scare the shit out of the middle class. <laughs> I, don't, I really think I have to check out these movies now because I've kind of been a little hesitant because it's, it does seem like shameless genre fare from the outside. But I, I, I there is know, something you, you're kind of piquing my interest. There, there, there definitely is a, uh, a an interesting theme on top of just the brutal violence mm. that I think kind of pushes it into There's something, some, something thematic more enjoyable. Under, some thematic undercurrents there. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, I guess I'll transition to my favorite film of the summer, which is probably my favorite film of the year so far. Um, I'm going to The Neon Demon. Wow, um, I know we talked um, about this before, off off mic. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's it's just far and away the best sensory experience and theatrical experience I've had uh, this year. And maybe a little shock coming from a guy who detested Only God Forgives. But I feel like this... You weren't week, the only one, Clayton. Yeah, yes. You weren't the only one. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we had a field day with that one yeah. in uh, 2013. Oh, my God. I feel like this movie is what Only God Forgives was trying to be. Like, this movie actually has some interesting th- thematic resonance and uh, content to, to underscore some of the ridiculous genre aesthetics and uh, just stylistic provocation that winning Refn excels in uh i i love that what Refn's description for this movie was like the impetus for this film was that he twofold he wanted to make a horror film about beauty which i thought was interesting and what a rife place to set that in the fashion and modeling world of los angeles a perfect subject Mm -hmm. for that i think and he also wanted to explore what would happen if Little Red Riding Hood was also part wolf. And that uh, Little Red Riding Hood is played by Elle Fanning, who I absolutely love in this movie. I mean, I'll, I'll give it. it. It's very, it's, the plot is very, the plotting is very thin. It relies mostly on sound and fury, aesthetics, sound design. That's his, and that's his some, thing. Par, yeah, par for the course, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's, it's much more drive for me than it is Only God Forgives in a lot of ways. Uh and I, I love how Elle Fanning, who is pretty terrific just from a, just as an object of the audience's gaze, I guess you would say, because she doesn't have a ton of dialogue in the movie. Um, but I mean, I've liked her ever since uh, Super 8, you know, back in 2011, where she had a kind of a, a breakout role there. Uh, but she, I love how she's kind of billed, at least at the onset, as this picture of 
perfect innocence, this girl fresh off the bus from somewhere who's gonna who's like very wide eyed and trying to get into the modeling fashion industry. And I like it how that's not really what we get. She kind of turns out to be something of a of a poison pill and uh the movie goes from i think a like a critique uh of the of the fashion industry into full-blown like argento exploitation horror by the time it's over um this is a movie that i i was just entranced by it's very hypnotic it's got like this thumping club soundtrack and then a an eerie jangly cliff martinez score the same composer from drive um and what kind of solidified it was Refn and El Fanning doing a Q&A after the movie at the Arclight, which I had no idea was even happening until they started to roll the lights up. Then I see Pete Hammond, the critic, walk on stage oh. and he starts introducing wow. Refn and El Fanning. I was like, what? All right. <laughs> and I, I kind of expected Refn to be, I don't know, just pretentious? From, from the way he looks and, <laughs> and the way he makes movies just to be kind of a pretentious twit. But I was really surprised by him in a good way. He, he was very thoughtful. He uh, he had a very sly, self-deprecating sense of humor. He conveyed the themes by which he made the movie very, very clearly and articulated his intentions well. And how this a lot of this movie was just kind of. Uh, improvised as they went. He shot it in continuity, basically, from beginning oh, to wow. beginning to end. Doesn't happen frequently. Not very often. No, no not very often. And uh, and I, yeah, um, I was just my greatest experience, cinematic experience this year uh, by a mile. Uh, have, you, have you seen this one? No, and we talked about it, and I really wanted to see. I was actually just looking up, seeing if there if there were any show times. Um, but there's no guys playing in theaters now. But I really would like to to see it because. You, uh, I mean, with uh, of the two that I've seen, Drive is fantastic, and Only God Forgives was horrible. So obviously, the third one is going to be the deal breaker for me, really. Well, you need uh, to check out The Hall Rising too. Yeah, I know because I love Mads Mikkelsen too. So that I mean, that's um, just a savage movie in a lot of ways, uh, dealing with masculinity, which I think a lot of reference films deal uh, with, yeah. deal with. In some, I mean, this one is kind of on that poisonous femininity kind of note, which is an interesting uh, departure for him, but. Uh, yeah, I'd be curious to get your take because if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's like fifty to sixty percent, right? Yeah, or something. It's it's right in the middle, so it's it's provocative no matter which uh, side of the aisle you end up on. I think. Well, and I mean, just to take a more of a just a broad approach with it as we um, finish up this section, basically there were a lot of things that had a lot of hype. I didn't really love Finding Dory. 
Um, I mean, you know, I mean, that's probably made the most money. It's probably yeah, make the I, most money. Definitely almost. the caveat here that I saw almost none of the big studio films this summer. Yeah, I mean, Ghostbusters was fine. Ghostbusters w- was a movie that didn't deserve the. Ha- we knew it wasn't going to deserve the hatred did, that it got. Did, didn't deserve the hate, but didn't deserve a ton of praise either. It was just. It was a funny movie. It was a funny summer movie that was fine. Um, I'm just looking through the list here too. I mean, Star Trek Beyond, you know, it was okay. I, I, I like that they're doing different things with the crew now. Basically, they're sort of starting to get them. The, the thing that was different about this movie was it got them to their own mission. It wasn't like we're trying to break into this timeline with the first one or remake Wrath of Khan with the second one. It was let's put them on a new planet. Let's put them with their own characters and make them just do their own thing. Um, which I appreciated for that. Um, I mean, Jason Bourne. I was super excited. <laughs> I was so excited for Jason Bourne. I was the, the, so the disappointed. The trailers looked it. great. The promotional material oh, looked great. It, it looked like uh, Green Grass and Bourne back in the saddle. Back again. together again. And, and, it, and I don't know. Maybe there wasn't really enough there to it justify another movie. It didn't need to exist. That's a, that's what it comes oh, down that's, to. That's it's, so that's so disheartening. Yeah. Um, and lastly, I think kind of the last big one i think well really that i saw was suicide squad very uh hot button film very uh it made a lot of people angry myself included a little <laughs> bit um it, it, it that's the thing there are parts of it that that i that i enjoy but i knowing more of the backstory about what went into the production of it it completely changes your of my opinion on it or or how i feel about it because you hire a director like David Ayer to make a David Ayer movie. And normally Warner Brothers is the studio you go to, I feel like, to let the filmmaker make his movie. Which I think was the intention in the first place. Because I did a I just I there's a YouTube clip of all just that culminates all of the trailers for the movie. So when we saw it at Comic Con last not this past Comic Con but the year before, they came out with a trailer and it was very dark. It was it wasn't bright and shiny and colorful. Oh, I remember it. Yeah, the, they f- f- highlighted the Joker a lot. Yeah, it had a lot of just creepy, maniacal. Yeah, which I think was that's what you do with a David Ayer movie. But he's he, he's no sunshine and rainbows. No, you want, any one of his films you watch, you go back on. There's some dark, depressing shit going on. And it's kind of a and and it's it's not a very bright, sunshiny type of story. I mean, these are people. They're villains. That they, they, they. I mean. In the ideas that they've done horrible things, we don't really see them doing horrible things. In fact, they kind of just do things that are also kind of good, so you don't really know. Uh, when Will Smith is in your movie playing a villain, he's not going to be a full villain. He's not going to be a full hero. He's somewhere in in the middle. But then they completely overcorrected with all of the Batman versus Superman backlash. Oh, without oh, it, the, was, it seemed like it put him in a panic. Because that, yeah. that, that movie arrived like the giant three-ton sack of dog shit that it was. Right. And they got a, a ton of scorn and backlash and to the point where they started what releasing, de- releasing deleted scenes. Releasing deleted scenes. The next scenes. week after yeah. it came out, which yeah. I've never seen happen before. No. And almost immediately promised a director's cut or an ultimate cut as mm-hmm. it came out to be. And my thought about Suicide Squad was I feel like I had no reason to see it after the 25% opening right. <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was kind of my attitude was I'm a, I was going to wait until the inevitably superior director's cut came out. Yeah. Which I was talking to my, my, my writer friend, um, Joshua about this. And he said like, 
insider talk was that we're probably not going to get that because it was oh. kind of a disaster from the first draft. <laughs> okay. Well, and you know, and again, more of that too is that they only gave him six weeks to write this movie. Like they mm. only, how do you write a tentpole? That's absurd. Summer movie in six weeks. You can't do it. It's just impossible to do. And, and it shows. And so the, 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 the main part of it is that they did these reshoots, these well-publicized reshoots, maybe, maybe six trying m- to add some levity to it. Was yeah. That, that was kind of the feel. I don't know if that's what they actually said happened. that, Oh, we're just trying to tighten up some scenes. It's not because we want to add in some humor. Basically. I think, then what I'd heard is that well, the 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 jokes they have in the newer trailers are the only ones that are in the movie, hmm. so they significantly cut down the Joker's role, which I actually didn't mind Jared Leto's Joker. I'm always very curious about it when a new Joker has to come in and how they're going to compare and what they're doing with the character. And he was only in like seven minutes of the movie. He was yeah. in it for this very, very bare minimum. It'd be hard to even tell whether or not he succeeds or not with that. Kind and there's of just the screen time. Yeah, and there and, and it just it, it there are parts of it that are it's just when I when people I was describing it to people they say oh how Suicide Squad I just go it's just weird like it's a weird movie it shouldn't be weird it should be very straightforward. Does it and, just feel really chopped up and kind of just uh, I don't know de- devoid of flow? There's a David Ayer movie that's yearning to, to get out to, of to this burst movie, out of there, but somewhere. they just had to subdue it because of everything that happened with Batman vs Superman. You know, God, what, fuck it, make a rated R movie. You know, why yeah, not? it would have work with Deadpool. Could you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine if he was able just to make a rated R David Ayer movie with this material? I think we'd be singing a drastically different tune yeah. right now. So, but, it, but Warner Brothers, like I said, you know they they're famous, you know, for letting guys like Nolan just come in and make mm-hmm. their movie with the studio backing. But it really feels like it's again and the unseen part of this conversation. It, right. It, it feels like a a test group movie in a lot of ways. It was yeah, and, and there. It, yeah, it, it it was a movie that was edited by a test screening audience. That's really, really what it... And that's of. a shame, because there is a good movie to be had, I think. I don't know if, if maybe it would have been 100% successful with, uh, the, with the choices that they were making in terms of bringing in Will Smith, who is, like, never going to be evil in his whole life, I think. <laughs> you, know, you had the most cringe-inducing line of the first... I think it might have been the Comic-Con trailer that they put out after it was leaked or what it was the leaking that happened right well i mean they they showed it and then they eventually just released it like two days later because it because it did it did get out yeah i remember uh, everyone who was a little weary about what will smith was going to do with this weren't exactly comforted when that one line in the trailer came up where he's like so what? You think we're out now? Some kind of Suicide Squad, right? Or it was so obvious, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was but, so but, pointed. But then, I, but then I hear he's who was one of the more bright spots of the movie. From yeah, he people. is. Him and Margot Robbie are great, uh, and they're movie stars. And of course, they should, they should shine through. They've worked together before. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so they have a natural chemistry. But the movie, just on its own, is too stilted and too disjointed for its own good. And and part of it, I think, is studio meddling, and part of it, I think, is David Ayer having no time to write or direct it. So, so unf- he did the best he could with what, he, with what he did. It's to me that with that much resources involved, invested in a project, they wouldn't just give him a couple extra months to write that script. Well, and it's a weird thing, I think, for DC. I mean, this is really the second DC, or the third DC Extended Universe movie. Right. And it's like, these are the guys you want for your third movie? Like, what was the third Marvel movie? It was, I can't even uh, remember. It was like Hulk, maybe? But it was at least one Iron of your... Iron Man, Hulk, to 
Thor. I think. Yeah, I mean it was, but it's one of your main or tentpole Iron, characters. Iron Man Two was before Thor. I'm sorry. Right, but it was one of your main oh. tentpole movies. This is essentially like if Marvel put Guardians of the Galaxy third. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just these weird eccentric characters, and you're like, why are we doing this now and not when we've already sort of established our main heroes, which we can't even really get right in the first place. Right. But <laughs> uh, so this wasn't the only movie DC had trouble with this summer. Well, uh, there was. <laughs> There was was it a summer? Was it the summer, really? No, no, it, it was. Uh, I, I did catch The Killing Joke. Um, oh, my God. Which had a theatrical release. I did watch that as well. I was yeah. really excited because The Phantom, um, Mask of the Phantasm was, is still, I think, maybe my second favorite Batman film, feature, wow. feature-length film. Um, I, think, I think The Dark Knight is the only thing that tops it, really, for me. Uh, I have I hold that movie in extreme regard, and I was excited for the next feature-length animated film that was going to get released theatrically. And The Killing Joke is a great graphic novel. It's it's very storied and revered in that community, and I I just sat just perplexed through that whole thing and this 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 shit they added with Batgirl that. Just, well, they needed to make it a whole movie. That's they, the they needed to make it a movie, and they needed to give you some reason to care about her for when the actual gears of the story kick in, mm-hmm. you know, kick in. Uh, but it, it was just, it just kind of felt like a, just a big shrug, like the whole endeavor. And you got Mark Hamill, who's doing his great Joker voice, but then you got Kevin Conroy, who's doing a completely different Batman voice than what you saw in the animated series hmm. and the Phantasm film. Almost like he was trying to distance himself from it or make it just a little different so he so it wouldn't get held up with that earlier superior work. I don't, I don't know. It just was not very pleasurable or enjoyable. It wasn't all. and and it made it made Batgirl a, just the the worst character. Like oh, you just hated her because and their relationship is not like that. Their relationship is never sexual. It's sort of been more of like father a father daughter. Yeah, and it's so it was weird to for them to add that in. There was Fun, a lot funny, of funny story about that. Hmm. I took a restroom break during the movie and that is the only part I missed. Oh, was the sex scene. So I came back, I sat down in my seat, and I go to my buddy. I'm like, "I said what I missed." He goes, "Bat boning." Oh, God. And, and I go, or "Whatever, you know." Yeah. And he was like, "No, I'm serious. Like they, they, they fucked." Wow. And then I was like, Bleh. "Yeah, <laughs> I missed that in the five minutes I was gone." No, it was horrible. <laughs> it was yeah. Well, because and that's the thing is that the killing joke part is fine. The killing joke part, I don't mind it. I don't mind it was okay. But they were obviously on firmer ground there. Yeah, well, because that that part was only what forty minutes, maybe, yeah. and they needed to make it a full hour and mm-hmm. seventeen minutes, so they had to just add this other whole story. And then, like you said, it was just to basically when the wheels of the story go to motion, the main crux of the of the plot they needed. Oh, to, yeah, so the, they, they the prologue th- is just painfully tacked on. They thought they could give it this weight, but it just mm. made you just like no. Just, and just so there's just a lot of chauvinism and just yeah, sex, no, it's bad. Sexism it's bad. and she's really reduced to like this this pining relationship object, mm-hmm. you know. And it was just, just a lot of just shit that ru- completely ruined the experience. Well, since we have the the uh, since now the sun is set on the summer, and now we're having our moon, our, our moon rising. Our, our, I'm trying to our, I'm trying our, to do our, the metaphor, and our, it's not working. Our, our, our our blood sun yeah our, our, our blood moon maybe well let's look to the future clayton let's look to the future and let's try to list off a couple things that we uh that we think could be good 
on the horizon in the next few months. Um, some fall movies to look forward to because there are a few out there. I think that uh, I definitely want to see. Right. Um, I think I, I can fr- I can frame the early going of this in a pretty unique way. I think like I think I think two of the potential front runners for best picture this year, at least from you know from a distance, seeing how they're being received right now and maybe the hoopla they had at the festival circuit or whatever. The two front runners may have a tremendous amount of controversy around them for completely different reasons and we might find the academy a little squirmy this year <laughs> and good yes I think, yes i think I, it's I, I think it's good I for them wait yeah it's gonna and be amazing n- not speaking not even speaking to the controversies themselves and whether they're earned or not but i can't wait to see some shifting in the seats mm-hmm. come voting time and you know the first place i'm going is birth of a nation of which, course which it's on opens, my list yep. opens on october 7th and as a movie it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like uh, um, Nate Parker pulling absolutely no punches. All the promotional stuff and trailers I've seen look fantastic. And there's some seriously provocative imagery happening in the poster where he's in like a red and white, red, white, and blue noose. Yeah. That was shocking. And there's this one shot of the trailer where it's in like, you know, it's in like 48, it's in like 48 frames a second or, mm-hmm. it's, it's, or it's really, it's really slow. And it and it just shows like this this white girl who's like leading a black girl by a leash, you know, mm-hmm. like around her neck. Right. And, and my jaw just dropped. I mean, this is some seriously artful imagery and provocative imagery he's working with. And Mr. Parker also has his own troubles right now. Um, and from what I've read about it, it's pretty nasty stuff. And I am kind of looking forward to that movie. Uh, brewing up this this controversy what by way? the time February comes around. What, in what way? What what troubles does he have? Are you allowed to say? Oh, I I am. Okay, I don't know. I oh, I, oh you don't. I know. legitimately don't know. You don't know. No, oh, oh, no, God, no, this no. Is, this is great. Uh, well, not great. It's it's horrible. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but um, he uh, back in his college days, him and his friend, who was also a co-writer on Birth of a Nation, uh, were accused of raping a girl. Oh. And not only that, but it gets much worse. Like it's, uh, it's kind of the Jameis Winston thing plus a couple extra levels. Oh no! Uh, it's like shaming her around campus when yeah. when she uh, decides to formally accuse them. Right. And uh, it's it's them hiring like a private investigator to follow her around and dig up dirt on her and put these little uh, like flyers around campus shaming her as like a slut and oh, stuff. Oh my god! And to top it off, this girl eventually killed herself. Oh. Right, so wow. so right. you know, so so talk take, about looking to the so, future. So, so take Woody Allen and Roman Polanski, <laughs> oh, no. and just you know, I'll see you in the next tier. God. So 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 that is the controversy surrounding Nate Parker right now, um, and that's not going anywhere anytime soon. No, especially as this movie picks up momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one I'm going to is Mel Gibson's comeback, oh. <laughs> Hacksaw Ridge, which. which if you watch the promotional material, never mentions him by name whatsoever. From the director of Braveheart. He's just the director of Braveheart. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that he can still get a movie made. I know he's... he's well, ex- it's, it's taken a while. Yes. He's extremely talented. I mean, talent's extremely, never been in question. He's extremely gifted as a filmmaker, even. I mean, as an actor, he's fine. But as a filmmaker, I mean, he ha- he is extremely talented. He exceeds even his acting talents as a director, I feel. So it's amazing that a studio is willing to take a chance on him, knowing that how, how consistently great he is, 
but then just go, we don't want your name anywhere near it, though. Well, <laughs> Step well, back, please. Well, after seeing Bloodfather this summer, another movie I actually really liked, mm-hmm. uh, his kind of trashy genre. Charles Bronson it, type movie. Oh, oh, it was great. I loved it. Yeah. I, I, I'm ready for a Mel Gibson comeback, I think. Oh. I am. I, I, what I is mean, this, like the third no. <laughs> time that, we, there, that there's been a reason for a Mel Gibson comeback? Well, he was though? in like Get to the Gringo and like some of these smaller yeah. movies, but this is his like official comeback. I mean, this yeah. is a prestige big budget war film that's coming out in, in a award season mm-hmm. you know and it's it's got a really compelling story at the heart of it the first conscientious objector in in wartime history to receive the congressional medal of honor and it definitely runs so parallel with gibson's martyr yeah <laughs> martyr streak right. that he loves either to put on himself in movies or to make <laughs> movies about oh it is just rich gibson material and and i it's getting great buzz so far from the f- one or two festivals it's screened at now. And that's the kind of movie that normally has Academy love like all over it. So, Oh, know. yeah. War film. Mel Gibson. Let's do this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody overcoming adversity at the, yeah. at the center of it. Religious adversity oh, also. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Further in line with the, with the Gibsonian struggle. My one thing, uh, going back to Birth of a Nation. First of all, great title. Reclaims reclaiming the birth of, a nation, birth of a nation. So great that he that he did that. I love that too. Second of all, I I can see a way where the academy has an out. Okay, let me tell you why. Twelve years a slave. Mm-hmm. One best picture. What three years ago? Two thousand thirteen. Thirteen. Right. Right. So, right there is your scapegoat. We already did that. They're, if they're, Birth of a Nation doesn't movie. do doesn't win every award, you know we haven't seen it. Maybe it's not as great. I mean, it won right. all the awards at Sundance. It went yeah. for a record at Sundance. So right. I mean, it's it's probably great. But other other festival films have done that in the past and done nothing come Oscar season. So so if there's any sort of way that they feel like they could get away with not nominating it, if it is great, is that yeah we did this. <laughs> Look at the imagery. We had the you know we. Ch- Chuatelagia for we had mm-hmm. him. We we did all we did it already. Mm-hmm. It's a horrible horrible thing, but I that's the, the way they could potentially get or like skirt the issue of right. it. And they might uh, and, and they it's might like, make up for it by nominating Nate Parker or any of the yeah other, or somebody other maybe or the acting or the cinematography mm-hmm. probably yeah you know give it a the the, the t- <laughs> you know whatever. But it's so it's so they they do potentially have a way out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean they. It's been very recent, but they've covered and rewarded this subject matter very recently. So one of the other things that, uh, because I'm always interested in sci-fi, um, sci-fi in terms of adult sci-fi, adult sci-fi, like sci-fi done not cheesily. I mean, I like cheesy sci-fi too. It's great. It's fun. You mean not like Independence Day Resurgence? Not like Independence. Nothing is like Independence Day Resurgence. That's not anything. I may come back at the end of the show with a coda about my ex- some experience I had on Independence All right, Day. We'll have Resurgence. to do a postscript. Postscript. So, the um, and this is not the Charlie Sheen film Arrival. No, Dennis but Villeneuve. 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 I, I want to say. The, yeah, Denis. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. The director of Sicario and Prisoners. Two wonderfully and uplifting films. Enemy also, which was oh God, very no. yeah, not uplifting, but no, kind of fun, interesting. Okay, yeah. But this movie is an attempt at original, interesting adult sci-fi. This is much more Contact and Interstellar. Yes, yes, than like Star Wars or Star Trek or something. Yeah. Um, starring Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, uh, and of course the great directing of it. 
One, one thing you could definitely say about those movies is that they're definitely directed very well. Mm-hmm. It's never movies you don't want to ever watch again, but because <laughs> they're so heavy and so dramatic, uh, which leads me to think that maybe this one might be as well. There's probably mm-hmm. be some rip the rug out from underneath you sort of thing on there, but um, it's about a, uh, a an alien craft that lands on Earth and the human races attempt to communicate with it and bring in Amy Adams, who I assume is probably a linguist, and their attempts to, and her obsession trying to communicate with this race and make sure that everything is safe uh, and that everything is on the up and up. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you take that one section from Mars Attacks where they're trying to figure out <laughs> what they're saying and you make it a whole movie <laughs> and you make it serious. No, it's not like that at all. But I hope um, like Mars Attacks that the world will not be ready for this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because the world wasn't ready for Mars Attacks not when it came out. All. And I'm really hoping for something else to blindside us this year. So... So that's one of the ones I'm looking forward to. I think the imagery, the the, the visuals, that the, the the promotional material. I feel the, like all that is probably coming from like the first third of the movie too. I feel yeah. like I feel like he's starting with some conventional, familiar Independence Day kind of stuff. You know, spaceships arrive, the human response starts. But I think that's just going to be the foundation of what happens. That it could oh, go there's got to be really even interesting more. directions. Yeah. So that's one of the ones I'm really looking forward to on there. Yeah, well. I I think um, I'm I'm right lockstep with that one with you. I'd probably go next to uh, November fourth. Um, uh, normally we are blessed just to have one Jeff Nichols film a year, and we got it already with Midnight Special. What movie I can confirm I think is a really really good film, and we're going to. I would disagree, but it's okay. Oh, I think it's good. I don't think it's later. I don't think okay. it's very good. I think it's good. I don't think okay. it's very good. But yeah, go on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he has a second film coming out November 4th called Loving, which kind of is more back to his strengths as a dramatic filmmaker as opposed to the sci-fi stuff we get in Midnight Special. But uh, it's got a good premise. Um, it's true to life. It's about a couple named Mildred and Richard Loving who face um, who faced incarceration as punishment for getting an interracial marriage in one of our more forward-thinking states. <laughs> um, and... I'm, it's on my list simply because Jeff Nichols is directing it, and I'll I'll see that guy. I, I go see that guy direct, you know, the next the next iteration of Annie if he put it out. Like <laughs> I, I think his strengths are that good, and he's that uh, much of a national treasure. The uh, yeah, I'm, I I I looked at that and I and uh, I I thought about it. So I'm curious because I I. You are way a much bigger fan of Jeff Nichols than I am, I mm-hmm. think. And so I think that... Have you seen all the stuff? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I have not seen... He Shotgun Stories? No. What's the one? Take oh. Shelter? Yes, that's the one I haven't seen. That, I know that's the main that's, one. That, yeah, that's the one that yeah. you're either going to be all in or all out okay. with, with Jeff Nichols. Well, um, the one that I have is... Uh, one that we're jumping all the way to December. And I think non... Well, because... Okay, I should say Rogue One is on this list too, but but that's not a movie. <laughs> that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's it's, it's not a movie. This movie, the the one that I'm about to name is probably my most anticipated non Star non Star Wars movie of the fall. Rogue One is there, number one with a bullet. <laughs> and I know you is it really though? Even with all the other stuff, I mean, I know it's a uh, maybe Star Wars not. Movie, no, maybe it, not. It, this it, one it, might this one might pass it up. I'm not sure. Okay, uh, you probably have it on your list too. Mm-hmm. La La Land. I do have it on my list. Hey-o. <laughs> it seems to be a a true 
unapologetic, unabashed musical. I haven't watched a single trailer for it yet. I did though. watch the trailer. Okay, I haven't watched it yet. It's, it's very abstract. I can't imagine it gives anything away. Okay, uh, but I'll have to watch it then. But from the, the from the director of Whiplash, Damien Chazelle, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone in a musical set in Los Angeles. Yeah. Where do I where do I get my money? Right now. Where's J.K. Simmons? Is he in it? I don't. I'm hoping. I don't. I don't think it's his tempo. No. <laughs> I can't imagine a musical would be his tempo. But it's written and directed by by Damien again, and it's him dipping into the musical genre again. I mean, he just absolutely exploded onto the scene with Whiplash. It was our number one movie a couple of years ago. Right. Um. So he firmly planted himself as the filmmaker, the young filmmaker, new, new filmmaker on the rise for me. And so when I heard he was making a movie like this, it's going to be just, I'm sure just soaked in nostalgia. And I love musicals. I'm, I I'll admit it. I'm, I'm fine with it. Oh, I, I, I mean, musicals done well are treasures. They are. And so this would be the, this, this would probably be the one that I would look forward to, uh, probably the most out of anything else yeah i'm really i'm really on on the on the on board with la la land it's actually uh chazelle had a earlier feature film called guy and madeline on a park bench that got really good reviews when it came out too and i haven't quite caught up with that one yet but i heard it's really good and i remember that he did whiplash as a short first correct yeah i think that simmons was also in right there was a different lead lead actor but uh yeah it it does seem like everything this guy's done has uh, has struck gold at this point Speaking of gold, <laughs> oh, are you, you thinking about Christmas Day? I, I was, yeah, because I, because I, I was scrolling through some of these. I was like, I need something else on there. I don't want to put something else. And I came across this trailer for this movie called Gold with Matthew McConaughey and uh, and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and everything. And I looked at who directed it: Stephen Gagan, mm-hmm. back in our lives again, mm-hmm. writer of Traffic, Academy Award winning. He directed and wrote Syriana. Right, it's his first feature, pretty much. Since then, he's written a couple of things since then, but this is his first movie he's directed since then. Mm-hmm. It's an it seems like an interesting story about a down on his luck, um, balding, overweight Matthew McConaughey <laughs> who's probably just looking for Oscar gold, if, uh, as it were. And uh, anything that keeps him all living, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. All right. I, I just, just I, all I needs a Lincoln and the, and the open road. Yeah. Just, just give me a Lincoln and, uh, and some cocaine. I can do my job. So. Yeah, he stars as a gold dealer, it seems like, and it's his goal to basically strike it rich. It's sort of like an 1849 California story Mm -hmm. trying to uh, basically become rich uh, dealing with gold. Mm -hmm. And so it takes him to Central America, South America, looking for gold, and there seems to be maybe a a, a Wolf of Wall Street-esque struggle between what's legal and what's not, who owns it, who doesn't, maybe a a meteoric rise and then a catastrophic fall, I'm sure, is involved. Hopefully not that uninspired, though. Well, no, but... (laughs) I mean, no, you don't like the Wolf of I'm, Wall Street. I'm, I'm more You're than, out. You're I'm more out than happy to, to, to defile and defame that movie whenever it comes up. Yeah. So that's kind of my last one, I think. We, we talked about a lot of the ones already. You know, We don't really know a lot about these movies. We're kind of just going off of filmmakers we like or actors yeah. or you know some sort of other performances or you know one other aspect of it so we're sort of flying as blind as you are but these are just ones we kind of want you to take a look at yeah think. and, and it hasn't been locked in yet but supposedly scorsese's silence is supposed to come out in november i'll believe it when i see it exactly no i i don't think this is going to come out for another five years but 
it's kind of like a midnight special in that case where that movie was supposed to come out three years before it came out and i, I can't imagine like that, was it that's... finished three years ago or was it just it just that he was he tinkered it, with it for so long oh it was finished it just it was like a distribution thing um, it was a you know a studio not sure what, where to put it kind of thing it was yeah it had its own um its own troubles and posts but uh um I, silence probably won't come out but if it does Obviously, a must see. That'll be right to the top there. And uh, Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, Liam Neeson. Right in a Martin Scorsese's Jesuit missionary drama. Oh, you can really just. I think it really pairs well with the Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> you just kind of wash it down with some Goodfellas, kind of get it, you know, cleanse your palate again. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I would agree with that. And Bad Santa Two. I knew it. I knew it for obvious reasons. I knew that would be on your November twenty third. I I haven't I haven't seen a single trailer. Nothing yet. I want to go in completely cold. I am not expecting anything great, but I have to see it since apparently I like it more than Children of Men. But God (laughs) damn it, do I respect you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I that's the it's the first movie I ever saw in a theater that made me think the director had subconsciously like inceptioned me and went mm-hmm. into my brain and realized I'm going to make a movie that is exactly what Clayton Shank wants to see in a movie. <laughs> That's what bad Santa was to me. So this movie is definitely at the top of my list. Um, and the last one I kind of want to highlight is something called the handmaiden. Uh, this comes out October 21st. It's Park Chan Wook. Uh, his first oh. movie post Stoker. Stoker. Yeah. Uh, you just remember Stoker was his first stateside film, his first English film and kind of bombed unfairly i think at the box office so i was it was solid it, it's it, pretty solid you could film. see a lot of uh skill there you could definitely see a lot of um what he's it, trying it, it's to a do creepy it. movie i mean yeah it, oh, it, for sure. it, it doesn't Matthew it, good is really good it, it, it doesn't uh resolve the way i kind of it hoped it would but mm-hmm. it's got a really creepy consistent tone i think with a strong directorial touch there um so after that movie bombed he went back to korea to make his next film and this is adapting uh, an already existing work um and it's basically it's the operatic story of a chambermaid the heiress that she is lusting after and the con man that brings them together and the hook line and sinker with this one for me is it is filled with quote this is a quote from david ehrlich of indywire filled with reversals worthy of an olympic of an olympic gymnastics routine and sex scenes so lurid that they make blue is the warmest color look like Carol. <laughs> wow. So. Well, okay. Park Chan-wook's a great director. Yeah. Steamy and sordid and lusty subject matter. With a little bit of uh, betrayal and deceit. Yeah. yeah I'm count, on board. Count me in. I'm on board. Count me in, Ryan. All right. Well, Clayton, I think this, the moon is now set. I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to try on that one. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm just letting you go off on a. I, I have nothing to add to your your moon metaphors, but I think you're doing a great job. Th- oh wow, thank you. I appreciate I, picking up the sarcasm in there. Good, because I'm laid on pretty thick. <laughs> but Assassin's Creed, any interest in that? Could it be the first video game movie that actually works? We say that every single time. But this has some serious prestige behind it. Yeah, it does. It does. You're right. Uh-huh. If one is going to succeed, it It'd would probably, it would be, this probably one. be this one. Yeah, we should do a podcast about video game movies. Yeah, and that could be cool because there's a lot of 
actual movies based on video game properties that are terrible a couple that are more yeah. guilty pleasures right and then there's a lot of video game movies that are not based on video games but have video game Elements. logic yeah oh that too that really work yeah you know, i'm thinking like the raid and mm-hmm. and, the, and those kind of movies so, scott pilgrim yeah scott pilgrim mm-hmm. we could we could do that yeah one. we could probably do that all right well maybe look out for that in the future mm-hmm. uh but this has been your summer movie wrap-up fall movie preview show uh you can get in touch with us on the facebook page email us mccarenpod at gmail.net on Twitter at M C E P O D N E T at McKee Podnet. Clayton, anything you wanna uh, anything you wanna plug? Any, any, anything well, you're up will, to? There will be a postscript, as we mentioned, where I wax vengeance on Independence Day resurgence. Are you but, allowed to do this? Are you gonna be I don't care, Ryan. Okay. I'm I'm gonna go with Ryan Gosling's uh, greatest line in, in half Nelson. I don't care that's just him saying i don't care in a weird voice oh it's great (laughs) okay it's great all right well stay tuned stay tuned for that uh for the mcshank podcast i'm ryan i'm clayton ryan it's always a pleasure always a pleasure